0: If you would, please open up to John chapter 4. I'm going to continue on in our study of John. As we started, we're going to, as I've said, we're going to send a good solid year in here. So we've got plenty of work left to do here in John, but thankful for all the ground that we've covered thus far and hope that it's been a blessing to you. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 31 to 42. If you have no idea where John is, that's okay. Feel free to use the table of contents. You're going to go in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look for the big number four at the top, chapter four, and then find the little number, 31, and you'll arrive at where we are. There's a pew Bible there if you need one as well. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about a man who was traveling for business several decades ago, and he stayed at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And as this businessman interacted with various employees in that hotel... One employee in particular stood out to him for doing a very small thing. One, this one employee of all the, you know, the staff that was there and his time that was there. This guy traveled for business a lot. And there was this one employee that did this one small thing that just stood out to him and he couldn't shake it. That one thing made such an impression on him that in 2001, he would ask people throughout the company he founded to put it to use nationwide. That man's name was Truett Kathy, and the little thing that he heard was the phrase that this employee used, which was, my pleasure. You may have heard that when you've gone to Chick-fil-A, and Cathy said about this phrase, he said, you know, what, what makes this phrase so unique? He said, you have to look someone in the eye to say it. It shows the other person has value, and that it is your joy to serve them, and go the extra mile for them. And so you can imagine this thing that we have all heard as we go to Chick-fil-A, it's been put into practice nationwide since 2001, this little phrase, my pleasure, that's where it started. See, fun fact to know and share. (laughs) Have Have you ever worked a job or volunteered somewhere where you were having so much fun that you couldn't believe that they actually paid you to do it? You know, like you you may volunteer, you might have, I hope you have a job like that where you're like, I cannot believe they actually pay me to do this. It's like me when I was working at summer camp. I love summer camp. Always have, always will. I just love summer camp. It's just fun. You're dirty, you're outside, you're just doing something different every 10 minutes. It's just fun. I loved every minute of working at summer camp. I still go back and serve at Ridgehaven. I'm going to do that again this summer. Uh, and, and I just loved every minute of it. I couldn't believe that they actually paid me to do that. So another thing, when I was in seminary, there was a golf tournament that came into town not far from the seminary. It's now called the Quail Hollow Championship. At the time, it was called the Wells Fargo. Before that, it was the Wachovia. It's gone through a couple of names. When I volunteered there, it was still the Wachovia Championship. And I actually asked or put my name in to go and volunteer at this golf tournament. And uh, I actually got selected to do that as a marshal, which I was one of the guys that holds your hands up and tells you people to be quiet. And uh, I got there, and they give you a list of these. You know, you have to have, I had to go buy some, like, really weird shorts that I had to go to, like, 47 places to find them to, like, hit the dress code. There was a certain dress code that you needed to do. You got to show up at this time. Had to come to a training session, all this. But you came and basically volunteered for one day. Then they gave you four tickets to come in and watch the rest of the golf tournament, and meal vouchers to eat there for free while you were there. It was a great deal. And I showed up, and I found out that I was actually going to be the marshal on 18 green in the luxury box. (laughs) So I was in the corporate box overlooking the 18th green, and the guy came up to me, and he was like, look, man, I know why you're here. He said, "We paid a lot of money to host these people, and I know you need to be here. But basically, what you need to do and what you can do is just go sit down on the front row and watch golf. And if you need to put your hands up, that's fine. And by the way, if you if you need if you get hungry or whatever, we got some snacks back here that you just help yourself. And then if you need, you can even use this fancy like bathroom that we have that nobody else can use. You can just use it. it was awesome. <laughs> I'm like a broke broke seminary student going." I cannot believe I get the opportunity to do this. I didn't want to leave my post. It was so awesome. I actually forgot to eat because I was having so much fun. I know that's hard to imagine, but yes. I forgot to eat while I was there because it was just so much fun. I'm like, who am I? This is unbelievable. And moments like this remind us, if you've ever had a moment like this, it reminds us that work was given to us as a gift. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, this is prior to the fall, God put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it and to keep it. And so work was given to us as a gift, and we were built to do the will of of God the Father who created us. Again, our shorter catechism starts off with this question, what is is the chief end of man? What What are we here for? What is the chief end of man? And it answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And you ask the question, how do we do this? The beautiful thing is lots of ways. There's lots of ways we can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. One, uh, one little example that came to mind for me was there was this particular sect of Christians in America that primarily lived in the upper Midwest and Northeast in the mid-1800s. It was kind of like their high zenith mark. It was a group known as the Shakers. They were originally known as the, Quake, or the Shaking Quakers, shortened down to the Shakers. And uh, Ken Burns did a great documentary on the shakers, you can probably look it up, and, and, and it was really interesting. And one of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me is a few of the things that marked their community were simplicity and efficiency and believing that God dwelt in the details of their work and the quality of their craftsmanship. You may have heard of like shaker boxes, shaker style cabinets, shaker style furniture, you know, like those ladder back chairs. It's all shaker design stuff. And they found joy in honoring God with the labor of their hands in their gardening, and their carpentry. They, they believed that God was in the details and that they were honoring God by paying attention to the details. There's a fun fact. Do you know that the shakers were the ones who changed the humble household broom from a round shape to a flat shape? Brooms used to be just this round kind of bundle of straw. They actually are the ones that made it flat. And the reason that they did that is because it was more efficient, it was more simple, and so even just making a little change to the humble broom, they saw that as a way that they could honor God by doing things in a simple and efficient way and pay attention to the details. It was their pleasure and joy to do it. They loved looking and and doing things like that and and attention to details. As we think about this text this morning, which is a continuation of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman from last week, I want you to think about what your reaction is when I say doing the will of God. When I say that phrase, doing the will of God, does it make you think of a taskmaster bending you to his will? Does it make you think of a checklist to be obeyed? Or is it something that you can't imagine not doing? What is God's will for us in this life and how does Jesus reveal this to us? Let's find out. John chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you entered into their labor. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm thankful for that, and I hope you are. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look at this text. Please pray. Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Christ, we long to exalt you, O oh Lord. And we pray that you would take these words and seal them into our hearts. Please be with the one up front, Lord. Give him grace. And Lord, just we ask and pray that you would change us, reveal your will to us, O oh Lord. And change our hearts from the inside out. We pray and ask all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. You might remember last week when we looked at the first little bit of John chapter 4, we saw Jesus break a bunch of social taboos as he spoke with the Samaritan woman by Jacob's well. And as a result of that conversation, Jesus confessed that he was the Messiah. Remember, that was a really unique thing. He said, The one that you're talking about, that's me. I'm the Messiah. And so the woman left and told others about him, and in verse 30, the ones that she told started coming to find Jesus out of town. It says there's this group that they're coming, and they're, they're coming to see for themselves. And so with a group of Samaritans approaching, Jesus gives his disciples a crash course in what their true calling is, to proclaim the gospel of grace to a weary and broken world. But the big question this morning is, why does that matter for us today? Why should we care? We're going to look at three points this morning. I know you usually do two, but we're going to do three. The text breaks out that way. We're going to see the motive. We're going to see the mission and then the means. So the motive, the mission, and the means. That's our three big points this morning. Let's look at the first point, the motive. This is basically verses 31 to 34. If you're familiar with the TV show Parks and Recreation, which is one of my favorites, you may also be familiar with, there's an actor named Nick Offerman who plays the character Ron Swanson, who's kind of like a man's man. And in one of the episodes, they're talking about ways to kind of motivate the staff, and let's do this and let's do that. And he says, the only ways to motivate people are money, hunger, and fear. (laughs) He He said, that's the only way people get motivated, money, hunger, or fear. Thankfully, this morning, Jesus shows us another motivation. And look in verse 31. After their trip to town, the disciples return with food and they urge Jesus to eat. Remember, last week Jesus used water as a teaching aid and now he uses food. Verse 32, he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And like the Pharisees and the Samaritan woman, the disciples also miss this spiritual illusion that Jesus is talking about. The disciples think that he got food from someone else. They're like, did, did somebody else bring him something? He sent us to town to get food, and then did he like, sneak some from somebody else? He did receive food while they were gone. Just not the type of food they were thinking about, and not from the person they were thinking about. In verse 34, now we finally see the true motivation behind the ministry of Jesus. And look at verse 34 and what he says there. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying that accomplishing the will of his Father and accomplishing his work were like food to him. It was his pleasure to do it. He longed to do it. He loved to do it. It was like food for him. It nourished him. Remember, this included the main reason why he was sent. So you think, it was, my will to, it was my joy and my pleasure to do the will of my Father who sent me. But what did that actually also include? His death on a cross. Keep that in mind when he says, it's my joy to do it. It's like food for me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him did what? Endured the cross. think about that song that we were singing earlier that he walked the lonely road of calvary and all this he did for me jesus had the cross in his mind throughout his earthly ministry it was always there john chapter 19 verse 30 we'll get to this in a year says when jesus had received the sour wine he said y'all like are we ever going to get through with this so when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit that same Greek word that's there, it is finished, is actually used here in verse 34. It's that same word for accomplish. Same Greek word. But if it was Jesus' joy to obey the will of the Father, where do we find God's will for us today? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 gives us insight into what Jesus meant here. It says, "...and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manner, manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know." that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so the short answer is we find God's will for us in the Scripture. God's not hiding from us. Westminster Shorter Catechism number three says, The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Super helpful definition. What is the Scripture all about? It tells us who God is. And what God wants us to do is his people. Two big things. Theologically, we call this God's revealed will. His revealed will for us in the scripture. There's another side of the coin theologically called God's hidden will, which you can imagine is what? Hidden from us. We don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things are the Lord's. There are things that only the Lord knows and we don't know. It's all part of his will. So, but we have God's revealed will, which is given to us in the Scripture, and we have God's hidden will. So, if you're here today and wondering what God's will for you is, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you, read your Bible out loud. (laughs) God has given us His Word. He's not hiding from us. He wants us to know who He is and how we're to live. The, The Bible is a gift. If you want to know what God's will for you is how do we glorify God and enjoy him forever how do we do this it's in the Bible open it up and read it leave the hidden will side of the coin to God trust him it will make sense one day one day you will turn around and go oh I get it I've talked about that before like only now that I'm here at Fort Payne as your pastor Did all of the like five no's and runner-ups and two years of wandering around and the hardness of seminary and all of that, I turn around and go, oh, now it makes sense. I get it. Keep trusting Christ day by day. Leave the hidden will side of the equation to Him. You can't figure it out anyway. Instead, focus on what you can know, His revealed will, which is found for you in the Scripture. Which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs the whole law. Thinking back to Nicodemus, one of the fruits of spiritual rebirth is a new heart that wants to obey God. We get this new heart, this new affections, new, new motivation, a new and living hope. Here's what James Hamilton Jr. said in his commentary. He said, what is the secret of a genuine, fulfilling, godly life? So what a great question. He answers, absolute submission to the divine will and the thrilling consciousness of doing it were the dynamics of Christ's life, and they ought to be evident in ours too. Are they? If not, perhaps we are feasting on empty pleasures, entertainment, food in excess, worldly amusements, fame, or success. We are then feeding on wind. The only food that will last is doing God's will and work. This must be our transcending priority if we are to be followers of Christ we were saved to conform to His will and to serve. Good quote. So if we have been saved from God's wrath, saved from God's wrath because of our sin, we are then saved to conform to His will and to serve. But what are we saved for? What are we saved for? That's the mission, point two, verses, verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus often spoke of the church's mission as a harvest. An example, Matthew chapter nine, verses thirty seven to thirty eight, and he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go therefore and pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's what Gordon Ketty said. He said, The harvest was in the middle of April, so with four months to go, it would have been December. And the crops planted in November would have only been showing a short green growth above the soil. He said, you've got four months to go. There would have just been a little bit of green poking up above the soil at this time. But look in verse 35. Jesus says that the harvest is now and the fields are white. He said, the harvest is now. You're looking at the little bitty plant, but there's this bigger harvest that's out there. And it's, it's, it's available right now. And so he talks about the fields that are white. Which fields are he, is he referring to? What is he talking about? He's talking about the people who were approaching from the town of Sychar who had heard the woman's testimony. He's talking about these people that are coming, and he can look and say, look, they're coming. It's right now. One commentator noted that Samaritans often wore white head coverings in public. And so he looks out and he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. And you have these people that are wearing white coverings and white clothing and they're coming towards him he's saying look look it's the people the people are the goal and so the church's mission is to be motivated by this new heart guided by the scripture and empowered by the holy spirit to reach out to lost people which is the mission field the people we hear missions and we often think about overseas which is great and wonderful But we also need to remember the mission fields in our families, our workplaces, our social groups, our civic organizations, the towns in which we live. Here's what Hal Farnsworth said. He's at Redeemer PCA in Athens, Georgia. A couple of years ago, I went to a a gathering of pastors, and he was the speaker. And here's one thing that he said that was like a fish hook in my brain. He said, the church's job is to fire gospel cannonballs into their community... But too often, churches are too preoccupied with either building a bigger cannon or polishing the existing one. Ooh, that one hurt. Let's pray as a church and ask God to reveal the mission fields in our own backyards and ask Him to give us the courage to reach out to new people. The question here this morning is, are you actively trying to pursue new friendships and relationships? Do you have any friends who are non-Christians? Do you have any friends who are outside of this church? Are you seeking to go and to build? Are you asking the Lord, hey, where can I go and how can I meet and how can I expand my kind of social group? We call these fishing pools in RUF. Job, hobby stuff that you like to do. There's lots of little ways where you interact with people and the question is, are you actively trying to use those to meet new people who might not know the Lord? May I encourage you to do that? Pick up a hobby and find some people who are getting together. Cycling, running, hiking, building stuff. There's all kinds of different ways to do that. But are you putting yourself and asking the Lord to help you in this, in this way? My prayer is that we would be an outward-facing, welcoming church that cares about real people in our community. I want us to be known for our hospitality in our own homes. As we're having people over for supper and having people, especially as coronavirus is, is waning. I want us to be known for being a helping neighbor in our community and a loving witness for Christ. You may not know this, but we actually got a request this past week from a lady who had foot surgery, called the church out of the blue, said, hey, can anybody, I'm just trying to find some help. I could tell she was a, an elderly lady on the phone and she said, I just need somebody to come over and cut my grass. You'll be pleased to know that one of our deacons actually went over there and cut her grass. We said, we love you. It's our joy to help you in this. Thank you for letting us know. And it's a way that we can be a helping neighbor in our community and a loving witness for Christ. I don't want to get bogged down in what Gordon Ketty called churchianity. I don't want to get bogged down in churchianity. I want to follow Jesus Christ and be faithful to Him. Are our church ministry efforts aimed at developing relationships and investing in people, or are we just perpetuating a bunch of programs? people's hearts are the target. I've always said you grow people first. We grow people, the programs will follow. We want to invest in people. I want to see your faith strengthened. I want you to see your theological depth deepened. I want you to see, I just want to see you love Jesus more and more and put that into practice. And as you knowledge of christ and what he has done and your the depth of your knowledge of the gospel increases your thankfulness will increase but also you'll start seeing your world and going hey how can i tell other people about it that's when the programs happen but we want to invest in people people's hearts and lives are the target we want to reach new people for christ we want to equip our existing people to serve that's the two big buckets here's an illustration pen gillette of the comedy group pen and teller you may have heard of them He's an outspoken atheist. Penn is the tall one. You have the short one? You have the tall. He's the tall one. Here's what he said on a YouTube video a couple of years ago after someone gave him a Bible and told him about Jesus after a show. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them about this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. It's a strong statement coming from an atheist. A guy looking and saying, I don't have a problem with people proselytizing. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them if you really believe that that's the best news we could hear? Man, what a strong statement. What an indictment. But if our mission as a church is to reach out to lost people in our community, what are the means by which we accomplish that mission? Third point, the means. Verses 36 to 42. Let's look at this. look Look with me at verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what the Gospel Transformation Study Bible said in its notes about these verses that I thought was really helpful. It wrote, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman were both part of the prepared harvest for which Jesus came. As disciples of Jesus, we follow him into a great grace story that has secured salvation for men and women, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. All of history is bound up with God's commitment to redeem his covenant family through the work of Jesus. Okay, so what is the means or what are the means by which we accomplish this work? It's sowing and reaping the gospel from generation to generation. Sowing and reaping the gospel. The parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8 reminds us of this. The seed is God's word. The soil is the heart. Romans chapter 10 verses 10 through 15. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 25. But we preach Christ crucified. It's the heart of the message. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you might have heard that little passage in Romans 10, and you're like, oh, well, that's just for pastor people. That's just for the preacher types. This is not just the work of pastors. This is the message that all of God's people share with the lost and dying world. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are the five solas of the Reformation. Salvation is by, this is the message we proclaim, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. It's the heart of our message, that's what we preach, we have good news to share, it's a team effort, we're all included in this, we all have a part to play as we think about the people that we come in contact with, we actually have good news to share, I've said before, the best thing that will ever happen to you has already happened to you in Christ on the cross. We have good news to share to a broken and dying world. Look at verse 36. This is when God changes the heart, we all rejoice together. It says that sower and reaper rejoice together. It's a team effort, and we all rejoice. It's a team rejoicing. Verses 37 to 38, Christ, Christ sent his disciples and then now sends us to do what others did in the past, faithfully sow the word and trust Christ. Again, Gordon Ketty said, therefore we have no cause to be discouraged because we have not seen the results we hope for. If we do see success, then we should humbly thank God for those who have sowed and watered the seed for Christ before we ever came on the scene. You ever thought about what a privilege it is to be included in this process? And the fact that you stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before you and harvest the seed that was sown before you? Many of you are here because of the faithfulness of someone God used in your life a long time ago. You think about this person that God may have used, just this quiet faithfulness. This person sharing the gospel with you, living out the gospel in front of you reminding you of the scripture it may not have been anything big and fancy it may not have been a big conference it's just somebody loved you well you just knew they loved you and they just faithfully quietly told you about Jesus little by little and the Lord used that on down the line that person may have been dead and gone by the time that the Holy Spirit changed your heart but you think if so thankful for that person who did that I think about people in my own life who did that who, you know, by the time I went to college and the light switch finally went off, those people were dead and in the grave. But I'm thankful that the Lord used them in my own life. And you can probably think about that too. The people in Sychar heard the testimony of the Samaritan woman and they responded in faith. We see that this harvest was starting to happen. And again, here's what the Gospel Transformation Study Bible said in verses 39 to 42. It says, the gospel comes to us in order that it might run through us. Grace to us, grace through us. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Having believed on Jesus, the Samaritan woman went back to her community to share the good news with her family and friends. In doing so, she gives us the paradigm of a good testimony. Jesus is the hero of the story. There you go. She drew attention to the one who exposed her sin and gave her life, and in doing so, she invited her friends to do the same. The gospel is personal, but it is not private. So, so we're wrapping up application time what does this text call us to do it calls us to share our faith with others with our words it calls us to share our faith with others using our words and to go and to seek and ask the lord to help with this and what message do we bring verse 30 verse 42 the last half of verse 42 what is the kind of the heart of the message that we bring that is revealed to us says, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This Jesus whom we proclaim. We preach Christ crucified. We preach a gospel of grace. We tell others about the way that God has been so kind to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion. God has made a way through His Son. And it's the best news we could ever hear that we have been adopted, loved, and known as we sang about, not because of anything that we have done, but because God has moved to us in grace and shown us mercy. It really is great news. I want you to pray and ask the Lord for just wisdom and strength and a little bit of courage, maybe to go talk to someone around you and tell them about Jesus. In your own way. You don't have to be like Billy Graham. Remember that person who shared Jesus with you and told you, they've been very quiet, very loving, Very patient over a long period of time. But what I want us to be is a church that's outward facing, always looking and asking, Lord, where can we go? How can we get involved? And how can we meet new people? There is plenty of work to do. We're not the only church in town. I'm thankful for that. There's too much work even for us to do. Okay, But as we're in a church, I want us to be faithful to the Great Commission and faithful to Jesus who sends us out. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us in this endeavor. Why? Not because we're trying to like build a holy country club here, but because we have good news to share. We have really good news. It's the gospel of Christ. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because he indeed is the Savior of the world. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this good news that you remind us of each and every week. You remind us of throughout the day that your gospel is true. May we have the courage to use our words, to build new relationships, to build new friendships, to reach out to someone maybe in our family who doesn't know you, someone at our work, someone in our, you know, that we may know, oh Lord, and give us the courage just to reach out to them and, and ask them how they're doing and tell them about Jesus. We have good news to share. And may it be our pleasure to do so. Lord, change our hearts. We long to do your will. We long to be faithful to you. And so, Lord, we need your help. And Lord, help us to just uh, to revel and to marvel at the glory of the gospel that you've been so good and so kind. And Father, help us as a church to be a church on mission. Help us to be a church using the means that you've given us, O Lord. But may it be motivated by this new heart that you've given us new affections, a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May that be the song that we sing until the very end. These things we humbly ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.